check out my new book, Coping Courageously, a heart-centered guide for navigating a loved one's illness without losing yourself. It's appropriate for you as a clinician, for your patients, and for anyone you know who has a seriously ill loved one or an aging parent. Check it out and tell a friend. Welcome, Integrative Palliative People. This is the inaugural episode of the Integrative Palliative Podcast. In this podcast, we'll be talking about the whole person approach to all things serious illness. So things like pain, anxiety, complicated symptom management, difficult conversations, complex medication management, challenging patient interactions, managing our own grief, and also how to keep ourselves well while we do the tough soul work that we do. So if you stick with us, your patients will feel better and you will feel better too. And I'm so glad you're here. So today we're going to talk about what on earth is integrative palliative care anyway. So integrative palliative care is whole person care for people with serious illness using all the tools that work. What it's not is alternative medicine. That's an old outdated word that or phrase that we don't use anymore because it suggests that you use one thing instead of the other. The integrative approach is that you use all the things, conventional, complementary, counseling, supportive, all whole person things. And the palliative care part is that we're using them for people with serious illness. So our population is people with serious illness, but that includes people who may be trying to get cured and also people who have lasting effects from their treatment. So they may be, for example, cancer-free right now, but if they have lasting effects from their chemotherapy, from their radiation, just from the stress and trauma of going through cancer diagnosis and treatment, we include them in our group. Um, And the methods are things like conventional treatments, such as medications and procedures, radiation, etc., as well as complementary tools, all wrapped up in the whole person approach. And included also is taking care of our own wellness because you can't pour from an empty cup and this is really tough work. So we're going to be talking about that too. So just a little bit about my story. How did I get here doing these two somewhat separate paths? So for about a decade, I was the associate director of the Center for Integrative Medicine at the University of Maryland Medical School, where I was steeped in integrative medicine uh, research and teaching, etc., I also am board certified in palliative medicine, and I'm currently started and I'm running a, an integrative palliative program in a cancer center. So while I used to do the two things separately, what became immediately clear to me when I was doing an outpatient integrative medicine uh, clinical practice and an inpatient palliative medicine consultation service is that philosophically, they're the same thing. They're whole person care for people with serious illness, but the integrative part adds in some extra tools. So for example, palliative medicine folks know that it's important to treat depression and anxiety if you want to treat pain effectively, but they may not know the current research for acupuncture, guided imagery, um, massage, etc., in managing mood disorders. So we're going to put all of that stuff together here. So how I want to start today is looking at how you approach a patient with an integrative palliative lens. Number one, you ask your patient what is making it hard for them to live life as they want to live it. So this may seem like an obvious question, 
But honestly, it's not because sometimes we assume that we know what's the thing that is making it hardest for the patient. So they may show up and say, oh, yeah, I have back pain. Um, I have cancer and, and there's a thing in my back and I have pain in my back. And we may go immediately down the path of helping them fix their back pain. But when we ask that question, what is making it hard to live life as you want it? They may not say pain. They may say, for example, I don't know, I'm tired all the time. Like I can cope with the pain. I'm pretty tough, but I'm just tired all the time. And that's making it hard to do the things I want to do. Or they might say, I don't know, I, I don't feel like myself anymore. So I can handle all the symptoms, but I don't know how to live my life this way. We shouldn't assume that we know what is hardest for the patient. So a big part of creating a whole person integrative palliative treatment plan is asking the patient specifically what of all the things that are happening are the hardest ones for them. And they don't have to pick just one. They could pick a few. But what are the really the, the ones that are making it hard to live life? Because those are the ones that you want to focus on first. So that's number one. Number two is to ask ourselves, what are the conventional treatment options? Now, things may immediately pop to mind, but I would encourage you to think that there may be other things that you don't know yet or that aren't in your typical toolbox. So what are some other medications that might be used for the symptom that you're trying to manage? For example, Haldol is sometimes used for nausea, but not everybody knows that or uses it that way. So what are, what are some other things for the symptoms that patients report to you that you might explore as treatment options for them? And how do you figure that out? Well, you can look it up yourself, of course, but you can ask colleagues too. And that's actually part of why I want us to make a community is so that we can ask each other, we can talk to each other, we can offer ideas to each other about new ways that we might use the medications we know or new procedures or new medications that we may not be using in a way that we could that would maximize the well-being of our patients. For example, I recently had a patient with completely uncontrolled pain, and I was using huge doses of opiates for this patient who had very severe cancer pain, and, and he wasn't getting better. And he was, he's young, he was stuck in bed because of pain, and it was really important to me to get his symptoms managed. So I reached out to my network and said, any, I've done all the things that I know how to do as a board-certified palliative medicine doctor. Anybody else have any ideas? And a really wise colleague of mine had an idea, connected me with a person. I sent this patient for something called scrambler therapy. And um, in the coming weeks, we'll have a session on scrambler therapy. So you guys can learn about it too. And it blew my mind because it completely changed his well-being. He still has some pain. He still needs opiates. But his pain now with between the scrambler therapy and the opiates is managed enough that he gets out of bed for most of the day. He's eating again. He got a haircut. He is really enjoying this time of his life in a way that was completely impossible when I just stuck with what I already knew. Um, I had another patient who has a very severe pain syndrome and uh, headache syndrome, and we used indomethacin for a particular kind of headache which I had never done before. So I would encourage you that even if you feel like, oh, I know about symptom management, you know, I have my three things I use for nausea and my three things I use for pain, to to look outside what you already know 
talk to your colleagues and get new ideas. And then when it's appropriate, don't be afraid to escalate. I see this fairly often. Someone has pain and cancer pain, for example, and someone will say, well, they're already on opiates. Sure, but maybe not enough. Or someone who's depressed and they'll say, well, they're already taking an SSRI, but okay, but maybe it's not enough. Maybe we need to escalate the dose. Maybe we need to change the medication. Maybe we need to add another medication. So we should, if the patient is still suffering, we shouldn't feel like we're done. And then sometimes, of course, we need to send the patient to a specialist, maybe an interventional pain management person, Um, but make sure you communicate what your question is. Like, what are you thinking? What do you want the patient to get out? What's the goal from what you know about the patient when you address them in a whole person context? Okay. So number one is we're going to ask the patient, what is making it hard to live life the way you want to live it? Number two, we're going to really push the boundaries a little bit on our knowledge of conventional treatment options. Number three, we're going to ask ourselves, what else? Meaning, what else could be in our toolbox to help this patient manage their symptoms? Do we have mind-body medicine tools that we could use? Meaning, if there's a pain or anxiety or depression or sleep component to their either physical or emotional suffering, are there mind-body interventions we could teach them in the office, for example? Could we teach them about diaphragmatic breathing? Could we teach them a very simple Um, meditation type uh, exercise, all of these things you'll learn in the coming weeks from this podcast. Could we talk to them about guided imagery apps? And I often do this with patients right now, it's a pandemic, we're seeing them remotely, but when they were in the office with me, I would have them download a guided imagery app while they were sitting with me right there and start it up so that when they got home and were willing to try it out, it was easier because it was already done. So are there mind-body tools that we can teach patients in the office or send them to a therapist who does mind-body interventions? Are there body-based methods that might be helpful to the patient? So would acupuncture be helpful? Is there a muscular component to their pain, for example? So sometimes people have an intrinsic pain that comes from a lesion, but then the muscle surrounding that part of the body tighten up in an effort to splint. And so then there's another kind of pain, which is a muscular or myofascial pain. So for that, if that's a component, maybe massage would be helpful, maybe chiropractic would be helpful, or physical therapy or yoga. So are there mind-body tools that could help? Are there body-based methods that could help? Are there behaviors that the patient could do that would help? And can we guide them around that? For example, Does their sleep need to be fixed? Can we help with that? Should they be exercising as a component to help manage their fatigue or their depression or their anxiety or their pain? Can we help them pick a plan for exercise that would be useful for them, that they would actually do and enjoy? Are there nutritional things that they could do differently? And then are there counseling modalities that might be helpful? Would Cognitive behavioral therapy help them if they have anxiety or depression? Do they have a history of trauma, which often reactivates when somebody has a serious illness or gets a diagnosis that makes them feel scared or under threat? So should should we send them for something like EMDR to help manage their trauma or at least a trauma-informed therapist? Would positive psychology counseling help them? getting them started on a gratitude ritual and teaching them about their negative cognitions and ways that they can counter those with um, positive reframing. So there's a lot more than just conventional tools like medications and procedures that we could add to the person's plan. 
So that's three. Number four, collaborate with the patient. Because of course, we can have all the greatest ideas in the whole wide world, but if they don't do any of those things, then it isn't going to help them. So we need to figure out between what we think is helpful, what we know about the patient, and then ask the patient about which of these things strike them, which do they want to do, which ones work for their lifestyle right now, which one can they afford, which ones feel like, yeah, I'm motivated to do that, and which ones they're like, you know, giving you lip service and saying, sure, doc, I'll do that, but they really have no intention of doing that. Because we don't just want to have great ideas, we actually want the person to feel better. And so we want to set them up for success. And if we get too overzealous and say, oh, I've got the greatest thing, you're going to start these three medicines, and you're going to go to acupuncture and massage, and you're going to start exercising four days a week, and you're going to change your whole diet, you're going to stop all coffee. You know, if we give them too much all at once, they may not do any of those things, and then they won't feel better. So this part, this collaborating with the patient while you share with them what you think would be helpful and why, and then you talk with them about what they're thinking they can actually do and you make a plan, that sets them up for success. Because if you give them a bunch of things and then they don't do anything and then they don't feel better, they're not motivated to try again next time. You wanna set them up for success. So it's much better to start small, really small. Just this is the thing that I think is the most important for you to do. Let's start with that one. Have you come back in a few weeks and let's see how that went. Or if the patient says, no, I think I could do a little more, then great, we'll make it a little bigger. But here's the one or two that I think are most important. So let's really focus on those. And then if these, if you have time and energy to do these other things, that would be great. But the most important thing is we want to set them up for success so that when they come back next time, they say, oh, you know what? I I went to acupuncture and I started those breathing exercises you gave me and I do feel calmer. Then we can ramp up to the, the next phase of their treatment. And how do we know which ones they will do? We ask them. That's so important. I was trained, I don't know about you, but I was trained to make a treatment plan and then tell the patient what they're supposed to do. But it works so much better when we ask them. So we can say, I think these things would be helpful. What do you think? Which of these do you think would be helpful for you? Which of these feel exciting to you to try? Um, Let's make a plan together. So collaborating with the patient is number four. And then number five, is assessing. So how will you know if things got better? That's really important because if the goal is to feel 25 when you're 75, you're not going to reach that goal. So how will you know when things get better? That is a really important thing to not only determine, but to say out loud, to write down for yourself in your notes, to share with the patient. This is the, this is our goal, our functional goal. Because for things like pain, anxiety, depression, um, and even a lot of side effects that may come after cancer treatments or other medications that people use for chronic illnesses, they may not feel all the way better, but this is not an all or none situation, right? We want them to feel better enough that they can live their life the way they wanna live it. So we're bringing this back to the first question that we asked them, which is, what is the thing that's making it hard to live your life the way you want to live it? And then how would you know? Like if you were living life how you wanted to live it, realistically, what would that look like? So for some of my patients, that's things like getting back to playing the guitar 
or getting back to buying and selling stocks, which was an activity that was previously enjoyable before the person started feeling so lousy. It might be just walking the dog. It might be getting back to work. It might be um, starting up my sewing business again, right? We, we don't know what it is for that person, and that's why we have to ask. So let's set a goal of, for example, um, getting you back to where you can work from your home office three days a week and take your dog to the dog park on Saturdays because you're not able to do those things right now, but those things were important to you. And then you ask the patient, does that sound right? Does that sound like a realistic goal that would be important to you that you think you could reach? If we reached it, would that feel like, oh yeah, life's going better? And if the person says, yes, that would be great. If I could work from home three days a week and take my dog to the dog park on the weekend, I would feel like I had my life back. Then that's the goal you're specifically working to get to with your integrative palliative treatment plan. Okay, so our five things, five things about how do you approach a patient with an integrative palliative lens. The first, you ask your patient what is making it hard to live life as they want to live it. Number two, you ask yourself, what are all the conventional treatment options that I might use, including ones that maybe you're not currently using or that you don't know about yet, so you're going to fill up your toolbox in that way. Number three, you're going to ask yourself, what else? So what are the more complementary tools that I might use in my toolbox that I could add to the conventional tools that I might standardly use? Number four, you're going to collaborate with the patient and find out what they will actually do and make a realistic plan that sets them up for success. You'll add to it later, but your first plan should set them up for success. And then number five, you're gonna figure out how you will know when things are better. So you're gonna make a specific functional goal that you're shooting for with the patient with your new treatment plan. Okay, so thank you so much for listening to the inaugural episode of the Integrative Palliative Podcast. You have joined a community of people passionate about whole person care for people with serious illness. And if you liked what you heard, please give us a like, follow us, tell your friends, and please come back next week for more. Thanks so much.